This is Pastor Brad Wolfmuller. Thanks for downloading the Cross Defense Podcast. We continue talking about the last days of Jesus. I mean, more than ever, as our attention is distracted with all the craziness in this world, it's good for us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and the one who gave up everything so that we could have his life and his glory and his peace. So we talk about the trial of Jesus before Pilate, then Herod, then back to Pilate again today on Cross Defense. Hope you enjoy it. God's peace be with you. Rejoicing in the life that he gives to us in this world and in the gifts that he gives to us for the life to come. We, we continue to rejoice in these things. Uh, even in these strange days, uh, different days, the days where we wonder, you know, it reminds, I think, uh, by the way, broadcasting from home today, not the Tower Studio, uh, but thanks for again for joining me. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church in, uh, in Austin, Texas. Um, it, you know, one of the things that that this whole uh, coronavirus pandemic reminds me, and maybe it reminds all of us, and let's put words to this, it reminds us that we don't know what tomorrow holds. I mean, we never know what tomorrow holds, but we always think we do. You know, we have this, I mean, human beings are, are, are story people, you know, we, we like to, we, we like to get the theme the, the the kind of thing that runs through and and so we're, we're looking for that narrative arc of things and so one of the things that we notice is that there's a pattern we go to bed at night we wake up the next day and that and that yesterday was a lot like the day before and that day was a lot like the day before and so we say well today is a lot like yesterday and tomorrow will be a lot like today and when in days like this it it's very helpful for us to remember that uh, that tomorrow can be different can be very different. It's one of the marks of the end times that, uh, you know, uh, Peter talks about this, that the scoffers come in the latter days and they forget, he says, the flood. That's the danger for us. We forget the flood. We forget that one day all was well, and then the next day the whole world was flooded. We forget that, that one day, and this is an amazing thing. I mean, it's not only that, that, um, that the pandemics can come and that markets can crash and that and that conditions in this life can change just on a dime like that it's there will be a day when everything will be different there is a day coming imagine this there's a day coming when jesus himself will stand on the earth and he'll call forth the dead and there will be the resurrection of all flesh all flesh that will be a day like no other and we've been warned, and, and I suppose in, it, as these things are happening, you know, as we're trying to figure out how to wrestle through the pandemic of the coronavirus and what it means to, to love our neighbors when we can't get within six feet of them, you know, what it means to love our neighbors when we can't gather together, when, when the restrictions that are placed upon us by the virus and by our government, and rightly so, I think, when those conditions are placed upon us, we have this question of, how, now, how does love look? How does my vocation look? And these are great questions for us to wrestle through, but it's good for us to remember that we were never promised tomorrow. In fact, one of the greatest difficulties in this life, and I, and I see this, I, I mean, not only as a person who's living life, and wrestling through this but as a pastor especially that one of the one of the most difficult things for us to wrestle through 
is uh, unmet expectations. And this happens spiritually. So we get mad at God for not keeping promises that he never made in the first place. And we, 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 we're mad at God because things go wrong in this life. And we've got to think, well, did God promise that things weren't going to go wrong in this life? Was that so, I mean, Scripture teaches us that faith is cashing in God's promises, that God gives us a promise, and we hold him to the promise, and we hold ourselves onto the promise. But we start to cash in promises that God never made, and we become disappointed with God because he's not keeping up his end of the deal, which he never told us it was his end of the deal. He never told us that everything was going to be easy in this life. He never told us that we're promised tomorrow. In fact, he told us that in this life you're going to have trouble. He told us. That, you, that that he has numbered our days and that we don't know that, that how many days we have left in this life. So anyway, we, we wrestle with the spiritual disappointment of trying to of trying to hold to the pro, hold God to promises he never made. Now let's look in the scriptures and see what promises he has made. That is what we're after. What promises has God made? And the chief place that we see that is in in the promise of the forgiveness of sins that Jesus gives to us by his death and his resurrection. And that's what we've been talking about here on Cross Defense. I think we had a replay last week, but in the weeks previous, we've been walking through the the last days of Jesus' life. And, and we talked about, I think we start, started on Monday, Thursday. We talked about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Can you believe it? I mean, there he is in a towel, kneeling down, washing the the feet of the disciples that's incredible to imagine and then um and then he he gives them his own body and blood to eat and and not only to them but also to us and and then they go to the garden where jesus is praying all through the night that if it possible let the cup pass from me you remember that and then uh, as the disciples are sleeping they're finally awakened by judas who comes and betrays jesus with a kiss and they take jesus and he has the first two of his three trials the first before Anaphys, Annas, and then and then the second before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. So he's he's condemned by the Sanhedrin, uh, and then in the morning he's brought to Pilate, and that's where we're going to pick it up today. We just started to touch on this last week, and so we'll pick it up there, uh, reading along. By the way, if you if you want to follow along the readings that we're using, we're going to be um, uh, we're going to be using the kind of series of readings that I put together for the Passion for here at Saint Paul Lutheran Church, our midweek services. Uh, and you can find that at wolfmuller.co slash passion. And you can see those readings that are put together. But I'll read them to you, so you don't have to go. Don't rush to get there. I'll, I'll give it to you. And we'll see how far we get. I think we want to do this for the next couple of weeks. So, so we're picking up at John chapter 18, verses 28. And this is Jesus' first appearance before Pilate. Then they, that is the Sanhedrin, led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters, and it was early morning. So we're early morning on Friday. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. The hypocrisy is almost boundless here. It's incredible. The same kind of hypocrisy where they they won't accept the money back from Judas. He goes and he he tries to to return the 30 pieces of silver that they themselves had paid Judas to betray Jesus and they won't accept it because it's blood money? Whoa. 
So they take Jesus to Pilate, and, and remember how this was. Now, the, the government in the, in the time of Jesus uh, was divided up. You remember when Jesus was born, the whole region was ruled over by Herod the Great. But then when he died, he put his sons, three of his sons, in, in charge of the four kingdoms, the Tetrarchy. I, I'm not sure exactly why it's the Tetrarchy. Someone told me, I mean, Tetrarchy means four. I always thought it meant three, but that would be the, I don't know, Tresarchy or something. Uh, Triarchy, but Tetrarchy means four. But there's three of these guys. There was Herod in the north and Philip and Archelaus. Archelaus didn't last long. He was over Judea. And so he was removed from office, and Rome put in a governorship over Judea. So in Jerusalem and Judea, there was a governor who was ruling. That's Pilate, a Roman kind of, they placed him there. And then up north in the Galilee and on the other side, uh, the Decapolis, was Herod, the son of Herod. He's going to come into the story in a little bit. And then down south, I think, was Philip. Anyway, that's the kind of government structure that's there. So so Pilate w had, um, uh, was the Roman governor of, of Jerusalem, and he was there. And he, he, there's a, you know, stories about Pilate. In fact, uh, there's a, it's an interesting thing that there was... No, for a long time, no evidence of the existence of Pontius Pilate outside of the New Testament. This is apologetic kind of thing. Until a few years ago, maybe 30, 40 years ago, they found an inscription, a stone that said Pontius Pilate in Caesarea, right there on the Mediterranean coast. You can see it still. It's in some museum over there. And they're like, oh, well, maybe the Bible's right. It's amazing. So Pilate was there. Now, he had a lot of trouble, Pilate, trying to understand all these Jewish customs and and figure out what they're all about. And we're going to see that trouble come up here in a minute. Uh, but they bring him to Pilate, but they don't want to go in because he's, after all, a Gentile. So if they would go into his house, they would be unclean and un unable to eat the Passover for a little while. So they stay outside and send Jesus in so that Jesus has an audience before Pilate. So Pilate went outside to them and says, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. The Romans had made they it's interesting that the Romans would normally take over almost everything in a in a civilization. They would take over all the judgments and everything else, but they had, had these all these special provisions for the uh, for the Jewish people in Jerusalem. So they let them keep the Sanhedrin. They let them keep the court that was there. They let them keep all of these things. But they did take away the right for capital punishment. So so they couldn't kill Jesus. Um, it's it's uh, they, they couldn't put him to death. They couldn't stone him. They, so if they wanted Jesus to be committed as a capital crime, they were going to have to um, they were going to have to get him condemned or 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 uh, accused by by Pilate. So Pilate realizes he says, "Look, I don't need to make this judgment. If it's a it's a matter of false teaching or whatever, you guys go and do it yourself." Um, and 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 the Jews say, "No, no, it's more important than that. We actually want him to be killed." I think we ended our conversation about this last time right at here at this point, and we talked about how the, the Pharisees who were building. They were they were building their lives on their own righteousness. Can't stand Jesus. I mean, there's no way that Jesus can just be exiled or even beaten and let go or punished. He has to be killed. 
this animosity, and, and sometimes this is hard for us to understand, but sometimes you'll run into it here and there, that, um, that, that the animosity of our own sinful flesh against the things of God is totally irrational. I mean, their reaction to Jesus is over the top. So it is. So verse 33, Pilate goes into the headquarters again and calls Jesus and says to him, are you the king of the Jews? That's the accusation that the Sanhedrin decided to go with when it came to condemning Jesus. It said, let's say that he called himself the king of the Jews and let's use that to get him in trouble. Now I want you to, dear friends, as you read the Bible, I want you to hone in on that word king or the other word that's like it lord i mean we we pass over that word really really easily jesus is lord uh is we, we see that um or or even he's called lord jesus lord the lord jesus christ or sometimes it, it'll just mention that he's king but this is the fundamental claim of the scriptures is that jesus is the king and a king means that he has a kingdom now that's going to be the highlight of the conversation that's going to be here in this first trial between Jesus and Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Now this is very interesting. Jesus says, Look, I, I am a king, but of a different sort. I have a kingdom, but of a different sort. My kingdom is not of this world. It's not, it's not of the world, and it's not from the world. I am the king of a different kind of kingdom. And we know, God be praised, that the kingdom of Jesus is his church. The, the place where his word is preached, where the Holy Spirit, through the word, creates and sustains faith. And there Jesus is ruling in the hearts and consciences and the minds and lives of people. His kingdom doesn't overthrow the kingdoms of this world, but it comes along above it and through and, well, not through, it comes above it and in the midst of all of these other kingdoms. So Pilate says, so you are a king? And Jesus says, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate says to him, what is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Jesus says, I am the king. This is true. And as soon as Pilate hears that word truth, he just backs off like a skeptic, like an agnostic, like a postmodern. What's truth, he says. Is this about truth? This is a, this is a Roman courtroom. We're, we're not interested in truth here. We're interested in power. We're interested in this word king. We're interested in any claims to a throne that might threaten the, 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 the princes of this world. That's what we're about here in this courtroom, Jesus. Don't you know that? Not about what's true. It's amazing. But Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, comes testifying to this truth, that he is the king of his kingdom. 
Well, Pilate, who's trying not to get mixed up in this, is going to say, look, I'm not going to handle this. So he goes out to the Jews and says, I don't find anything wrong in him. But they won't let him get off the hook. So Pilate's going to try two different strategies to try to get out of this thing. And they're both going to fail. In fact, we're going to see in Pilate's strategies the failure of man's wisdom. So, so we'll take that up. We're going to switch from John chapter 18 over to Luke chapter 22 and how Jesus is going to be sent over to Herod. We'll do that after the break. You're listening to Cross the Fence. I'm, I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches here in Austin, Texas. You're listening to Cross the Fence. Short break, and we'll be right back. On the next Joy, music about peace, the peace that the Divine Redeemer can bring into our lives. Bach, Haydn, Mozart, and more help us to see that we only receive real peace in the shadow of the cross. This is Ron Clem. I do hope you'll join me this week for Joy. Wednesdays at 1 p.m. during Lent on KFUO. Hello. This is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. This week on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller introduce us to the book of 1 Timothy. We'll continue our series on the words of Scripture, talking with Pastor Will Whedon about the word peace, and we'll discuss original sin in the solid declaration of the formula of Concord with Pastor Paul McCain. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Well, welcome back to Cross Defense. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller here, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas, host of Cross Defense every Monday afternoon, live on KFUO, podcasted. Oh, you can you can go and subscribe to the podcast at Cross Defense. It's probably on the KFUO.org website and click on Cross Defense. You can subscribe there or wherever you get your podcast, including Spotify. The old Spotify has the podcast now. You can listen to Cross Defense over there. Uh, on live on YouTube on Cross Defense now too. That's kind of cool. We had a point. Uh, someone made a comment on the YouTube that um, uh, that this language that Jesus is using is similar to the way that Jesus talks in John chapter ten, where he says, "I lay down my life for the sheep." That Jesus came. It's it is an amazing thing that most kings 
claim their kingdom by their life. Either they're born into it, you know, if your dad's a king and you're born, then you are now a prince and and there, if your dad dies, someone else dies and you get the kingdom. Or if you go to war and you go out conquering and you, you survive the battle and someone else dies, then you have their kingdom. But Jesus does it the exact opposite way. Jesus is is becoming king not by his birth but by his death. He's being exalted on the cross. That's about to happen. In fact, did it was is this in this text or is it coming up? Oh, yeah. It's coming up a little. Wait, 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 wait. No, no. It was in this text. I almost missed it. If you look at John chapter 18, verse 32, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And then John says, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Now that's amazing because Jesus said, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now is the time for the Son of Man to be lifted up. So that Jesus is, a, and, he, and it says at that point, this is to refer to his death, that Jesus is lifted up, he's exalted on the cross. Now that word to lift up, to be exalted, is how you normally speak of a king being put into their throne, being exalted to their throne, being lifted up to their throne. But when is Jesus lifted up? It's on the cross. That is his exaltation. And it says, now, 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 how amazing is this? I mean, we look at this and we say, the Jews said it's not legal for us to put, this, to put him to death. That's why we're bringing him to you, Pilate, so you can condemn him, give him the death sentence, and put him to death. And we would say, well, why did that happen? Well, it's, it's a historical fact that the Romans took over, and then the Romans didn't allow the, the people that they conquered to put anybody to death and all this sort of stuff. And, and so why was it happening like this? Well, because of all of these kind of machinations of history. But why does John say it's happening like this? It's because this is what Jesus said. In fact, in fact, when you just sort of hone in on the themes of the Gospels, one of the themes of the Gospels, of the Gospel of John is that is that Jesus is his life is not being taken from him it's being given up nobody takes my life but I lay it down and I'll take it back up again so that everything that's happening to Jesus is according to his own will and according to his own desire and according to his own direction he's doing all of these things and he's doing them all on purpose Pilate might think he's in charge. Herod might think he's... In fact, Pilate's going to say at some point in here, he says, don't you know that I have the authority to kill you or the authority to let you go? And Jesus says, you would have no authority unless my father gave it to me. I, I'm in charge. Even in my passion, even in my suffering, even in my death, I'm in charge. In fact, the very act of Jesus dying, which we'll also come to, is his own... That he, The text says he breathed out his last... So Jesus says, okay, now's the time to die. So all these things. Now, this is an amazing thing because, you know, there's a kind of a liberal branch of Christianity. And you go to it and you say, what is the point of the death of Jesus for you guys? Like, they, don't, they, they kind of reject the atonement, the idea that God was suffering the sins of, the punishment of our sins in our place to give us life. And so you say, well, what, what's the whole deal? Why even have... Uh, a crucifixion why have a cross what's what's even going on there and and they say well this is an example of what happens when one man stands up and rebels against a tyrannical ruler or something like that it's crazy 
Uh, and and they and they emphasize the passiveness of Jesus' suffering. That he's just these things happen. But but John wants us to know that this Jesus who's dying is the King who's choosing to die. He is laying down his life. Even in his passion, he is the one who's acting. All right, so let's pick it up in. Um, in Luke chapter 22, 23, Luke chapter 23, verses 6 to 12. Now, remember that the trial of Jesus, which we're in the middle of, has five parts. The first two are Jewish parts. The second three are, are uh, Roman parts or secular pagan parts. Pilate, then Herod, then back to Pilate. So we're going to transition from, from Pilate, the ruler of Judea, to Herod, who is the ruler of Galilee, who is up north. Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch. And so when the, when Pilate comes out and says, I find no fault in him, they start fussing about him. And in that fussing of the Pharisees, Pilate hears that Jesus is from Nazareth, which is up north in Galilee. And so to pick up in Luke 23, verse 6, it says, When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he, Jesus, belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. Now Herod, now we get to introduce this guy Herod. So uh, unlike Pilate, who seems like he was a very Roman kind of guy, Herod was really a sort of hedonistic. In fact, what the things we know about Herod was that, remember, he, um, he's the guy who beheaded John the Baptist, and uh, he had had John the Baptist arrested because John preached against Herod's illicit wedding to his brother's wife. And the reason why Pilate, or why Herod had John the Baptist's head taken off was because his daughter-in-law was dancing before him. He was having this big drunken party with all of his generals, probably celebrating some military victory over some part of Iraq. And she's there dancing, and his daughter-in-law's dancing pleased him so much that he promised to give her anything she wanted, up to half the kingdom. And so she went and and uh, plotted with her mother, Herodias, and they asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter. John, Herod is the guy. Remember when, when John the Baptist's—this <laughs> is kind of funny text— I think this is Matthew chapter 18. Someone can check on that for me. Uh, uh, when— uh, the disciples of John come to Jesus when uh, John is in prison. And John sends them to Jesus saying, are you the one that we're waiting for or is another one coming? And Jesus says, go tell John what you see and what you hear. The dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them and so forth. And he lists all these biblical prophecies fulfilled. Go comfort John with that message. Well, oddly enough, one of the biblical prophecies that Jesus didn't say was fulfilled is that the prisoners are released, which maybe was the one John was hoping for, but anyhow. And then after the disciples of John leave, um, Jesus talks to the crowd about John the Baptist. And he says, there's never been one greater born among women than John the Baptist. And yet I tell you, the greatest of all the prophets and yet I tell you that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. Now that's a riddle. 
And I don't know exactly how to answer that riddle, how to sort that riddle out that Jesus gives. But, but here's my attempt at it, and that is to say that John the Baptist, like all the prophets, had to die before they saw their prophecies fulfilled. They all had to be made, as Hebrews says, perfect together with us. But the least in the kingdom of heaven can confess the creed, suffered under Pontius Pilate, etc., etc. Anyway, uh, then Jesus says to the crowd, this is what I'm pressing towards, because to, it helps us to understand Herod. Jesus says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? <laughs> I, I tell you, and then this is the key, if you want to see men like that, go visit Herod's palace. Men dressed in soft clothing. The, lit the literal gr Greek is effeminate men. In fact, it's maybe even more explicit in the Greek, uh, which we, we just won't discuss it on the radio. But if you want to see guys like that, go visit Herod. So that gives you the idea of what was going on with Herod. He was just kind of hedonistic, sensual, um, pagan kind of guy. Opposite of Pilate. So there's a reason to think that they, Pilate and Herod would not have been friends with each other until what's about to happen, until this day. So Herod, this, I'm, I'm back now in Luke verse, chapter 23, verse 8. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. It's this idea that like Herod is like, a, wants to see some sort of trick, like a, an amusement kind of thing. Uh, that, 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 that's the kind of thing that interested Herod. So he questioned him, verse 9, at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod and his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, they sent him back to Pilate. I think it's an amazing thing to consider that the that the best dressed Jesus ever was, was when Herod put on these splendid clothes. Like the fanciest that Herod ever was, or the fanciest that Jesus ever was, was when Herod, in mockery, puts these fine clothes on him. To, to, to mock him here. And he sends him back to Pilate. Now, this Jesus saying nothing before Herod is really a stunning thing. I mean, there was plenty of things that Jesus could have preached to Herod. But, but his hour had come. I mean, it was time for him to be crucified. And so he opens not his mouth to defend himself. I just want to contrast this. Just contrast this with Romans chapter 3. Whoa. In Romans chapter 3, Paul's talking about the use of the law. And he makes this, this little comment about the law. He says, in, in chapter 3, verse 19, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped... And all the world may become guilty before God. 
Now consider that. One of the one of the things that we are always doing, one of the kind of natural conditions of our own sinful heart is that we always find ourselves arguing for our own innocence, even though we're sinners. Our mouths are always open in self-justification. We're always making excuses for ourselves, either excusing our sin or, or boasting in our own righteousness. Now, our mouths are always busy building the case. Can you, can you imagine that, that just, you know, we have the doctrine of justification and so many people, in fact, this happened in a conversation the other day. This is an amazing conversation. I was talking with someone, they were sort of theological guys, and they said to me, they said, Brian, they weren't Lutheran. They said, Brian, you guys are always talking about justification. You Lutherans are always talking about the doctrine of justification, the centrality of justification, how important justification is to the Bible. Do you think that anybody still is worried about those things? Do you think that anybody is still thinking about justification? And I thought, what kind of world are you living in that, that is, this is not the most obvious thing, that we are justifying machines? We, we, are, we are built to justify, and normally it's self-justify. Jesus is always pointing this out, especially the Gospel of Luke, how there's those who justify themselves. The Pharisees were those who justify themselves, that we're always building a case for our own worth, or for our own importance, or for our own goodness, or for our own meaning, or for our own whatever. We're always building that case. Our mouth is always open in this way. But the law comes along, and it stops that justifying mouth. Now, just contrast that to Jesus, who alone, in all of humanity, the only person ever to be born of woman who could have opened his mouth and argued his own innocence. Here was the one who could not be accused there was no accusation that would stick with Jesus. There was nothing that anybody could say that would have been true to condemn him to death. He did everything right. He was totally without sin in every single way. And yet now he stands before the judge and he refuses to open his mouth. Like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. It's amazing to see. They treat him with contempt, they mock him, they array him in splendid clothes, they send him back to Pilate. And verse 12 says, Luke 23, verse 12 says, and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, before before this, that they had been at enmity with each other. <laughs> The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Or, as Psalm 2 says it, Oh, come, let us break their bonds and tear their, their, their bonds in sunder, that the kings of the earth join together against the Lord and against his Messiah. So it is here. So Jesus is sent back to Pilate, and now we come to the climax of his trial, to the, to the climax of this of this appearance before Pilate. And we're going to pick up the the story in John chapter 18. So I'm I'm starting to read here in John chapter 18 verse 39. Pilate says, "But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews?" 
apparently this is kind of a pardon thing. You know, all, kings almost always have the right of pardon. We have it now in our own country with governors and presidents. They have the right to pardon someone. And it seems like the Jews had had a right of some sort of, I don't know, a, a thing where, where on the Passover it was the tradition of the governor to release someone and now Pilate sees this as a political way out. Now, uh, I want to just kind of pause here and, and take the pulse of, of what's going on, because Pilate no doubt could read the crowd, and it seems like Pilate at this time could read that the, that the Pharisees were really bloodthirsty. They really were after Jesus. But the crowds were generally on his side. This is an amazing sort of thing to think about, that Pilate thinks that the crowd is going to be, is not going to, want Barabbas but but Jesus in fact Pilate is going to pick the worst guy the guy that he thinks is most likely to to get Jesus released and so he picks Barabbas this criminal the guy it, it would have been Barabbas that would have caused the Romans to kind of squash and push down the Jews even more this guy had to hurt their families and everything else like this do you want Barabbas to be released or do you want Jesus to be released and Pilate's and Pilate thinks this is going to work. I mean, Pilate is trying to get out of this whole thing. And there's a there's a pivotal point here in the drama of the passion of Jesus where it looks like it could go either way. The the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin are all for the death of Jesus. The crowds seemingly are on Jesus side, but they're going to go and work the crowd and work this mob up into a frenzy and and get them to turn and yell out for Jesus. And so so we got to get that drama that's there. And so we'll try to pick up on that after the break cuz I'm getting the warning that we got to do another break. So let's go to this last break, quick break and we'll come back and we'll we'll hear how it goes. Jesus this is a pilot trying to get out of crucifying Jesus uh, uh his his kind of trying to get out of it by politics. Uh but that fails. So so stay tuned and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson with an invitation for your LCMS congregation or organization to become a Church of the Week for a gift of just $595. If you would like, you can split that into monthly gift payments. Also, if you commit to be a Church of the Week between now and Easter, in addition to 35 32nd announcements and your pastor or leader being on one of our programs, we will give you, for your pastor, a beautifully bound Luther's Small and Large Catechisms, compliments of Worldwide KFUO and Concordia publishing house in St. Louis. This small and compact volume has Luther's seal on the front. The pages are gold-edged, and the inside print is plenty large, even for an older person like myself. So contact me to schedule your week. You provide the information for the 30-second spots, and we'll produce them for you. Our thanks to CPH for partnering with us. Call 314-996-1520 to schedule your week today. really very litany bump music. Ah, well. Welcome back to CrossFit. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, Jesus Deaf. Uh, Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. Uh, God be praised for his mercy during this Lent, which is a Lent like no other. I mean, how about the, I mean, fasting from meeting together. There's a way that 
canceling service is hardest for the Lutherans. I mean, I don't maybe want to dig into this too far, but the Lutheran doctrine of the Lord's Supper is non-transferable. I mean, we believe, number one, that it's the body and blood of Jesus. So unlike most Protestants that think it's either a spiritual presence or a, a memorial meal, we, we understand the Lord's Supper is essential. And it's not transferable. Like the Catholic Church has this idea that you can sacrifice the Mass for people who aren't there, who are dead, or the priest can do the work and it can... You can have the body and blood there to adore at a distance. We say, no, it has to be eaten or drunk for the benefit. So it's hard for, boy, oh boy, is it hardest amongst all the confessions for Lutherans to cancel the service. And yet it's also maybe the easiest because we believe that God's word is efficacious at, at a great distance. I mean, any distance, as long as we have the Lord's word. The Holy Spirit is there working, creating and sustaining faith. So, so anyway, we have this fasting during this coronavirus pandemic Well, we wait for the the lord's kindness and mercy to to restore to us the, his 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 rebuke and punishment to be lifted i think we should receive this as the lord's punishment now, now who sinned we can never pin that down but we know that that whenever the lord gives us this kind of affliction we should repent and pray so anyway we're talking about the the Passion of Jesus. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfram. I think I mentioned that. You're listening to Cross Defense. And we are at the third uh, pagan trial, the fifth part of the trial of Jesus. It's early Friday morning, and Jesus has been before Pilate. He went before Herod and didn't say anything. So Herod dressed him up with the fancy clothes, sent him back to Pilate. And Pilate now is going to try to get out of this. Pilate clearly does not think Jesus is guilty. At least he does not think that he's deserving of death. He wants to release Jesus. He says over and over, I find no guilt in him. And yet, Pilate won't let him go. Pilate is going to be the kind of ultimate political actor. And because of that, he is forever, every time we confess the creed, Every time Christians pray, Pilate, is, his guilt is manifest before the world. Crucified under Pontius Pilate. We don't say crucified under Herod. We don't say crucified under the Sanhedrin. We don't say crucified under the soldiers. We don't say crucified under any, crucified under Pontius Pilate. Even though he thought he was innocent, he didn't, he didn't stand by that conviction. You have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. John 18:39 Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber, an insurrectionist, a rebel and so forth. So Pilate now takes Jesus and flogs him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. This is a really amazing I remember we went to the Passion Play back in 2010. The Passion Play used to be every 10 years for the last 400 and something years, but it was canceled this year. Interesting. It was or postponed until 2022 in Oberammergau, this famous Passion Play. And there are two, uh, there are two moments in that Passion Play that I remember. It's the crowning of Jesus and the uh, the suicide of Judas. 
And when Jesus was crowned with thorns, this is how they did it. They had the soldiers there, and they took this big vine with all these thorns, and they wrapped it around a few times. They're big, huge kind of soldiery gloves. And they and they wove it into a crown, and they put it on his head. And then how they did it was they had these two long reeds, like bamboo stalks, and one went front to back and one went side to side over the head of Jesus. And then there was four soldiers, one on this side, one on his right, one on his left, one in front, one behind. And they, they, the four soldiers grabbed the reed, and they counted to three. And on the count of three, they all four went down to their knee and bent the, and bent the reed over the head of Jesus and pressed the crown onto his head. And that was the first time that you saw the blood flow from Jesus and then they flogged him there's this old tradition that Jesus was flogged 39 times remember that's how Paul says it he says three times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one there was the Jewish tradition that if you flogged someone 40 times you'd kill him so if you were being flogged you'd get flogged 39 times but that's the Jewish tradition not the Roman tradition. They were not so kind. I mean, they didn't care if you died in flogging, if you were a non-Roman citizen. So they would get their their whip out. They normally, they called it the cat of nine tails. It was a short whip, so you had a handle, and you'd have nine strips of leather, and you would either have little metal beads in it, or they would dip it in tar and put it in, in pebbles or straps of bone or glass so that the nine flagellum the nine strips would would tear into your skin and so you would be whipped boom, and it would then tear and so normally it would strip down to the ribs the Romans had this weird thing about being able to see someone's ribs I mean tearing off the skin to the ribs so sometimes they would the martyr stories have all these things about tearing off the skin but this is so this is how the flogging would be it would have just ripped the skin off of the back of Jesus now and they take a robe they take off these fancy clothes that Herod put them on they put on a purple robe now remember purple is the color of the kings purple was just hard to get you had to have the these certain shells or something that they would grind up into powder and make into a purple dye so so only the kings would wear purple but they must have had some old kind of ratty purple thing laying around and so they put the crown on Jesus and they they put the robe on him and he's flogged and um and then he brings him out this is amazing oh i i got ahead of myself they arrayed him in a purple robe, then verse 3, so I'm in John chapter 19, verse 3. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. So the soldiers there in Pilate's um, palace are mocking Jesus. Hail, King of the Jews, they say. You, 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 you notice how this idea of Jesus being king has become the theme of his own suffering. They struck him with their hands. Then Pilate went out again and said to him, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Now we would stop at that point and say, Now why would 
why would Pilate have him beaten and mocked in such a way if there was no guilt? And why would that happen? Why would, uh, it seems like you would do that if, only if you, um, if you did find guilt in someone. You, the only reason that you would, that you would have Jesus whipped and flogged and excoriated in such ways if he was guilty. But remember that in the Roman idea, if you were whipped, you could be whipped without being condemned. We see that in, in Paul, but you can't be put to death without being condemned. And you would never fla you would never flog someone that you were going to crucify. I mean, crucifixion was meant to be a long and excoriating death. You would sometimes hang on the cross for days or maybe even a week or two before you died. So you'd never flog someone before crucifying them. So Pilate has him flogged. Understand this rightly. Pilate has him flogged for the reason of so that he wouldn't be killed, he would, so that he could be released, so he wouldn't be crucified. See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. In Latin, echo homo. This is a famous moment. We want to capture it in our imagination. There's a place you can go now. It's the echo homo march right there in the old city in Jerusalem where they think that this moment, this precise moment actually happened, that Jesus comes out and he has his crown of thorns and he has his robe on. Maybe he has a staff. They put a rod in his hands and then they take it and beat him with it. And Pilate says, behold the man. In other words, he's already beaten to a pulp. He's already half dead. He's already miserable. Why don't you just let him go? Now, I want to ask a question. I want you to imagine that you, um, that you lived in, in the ancient world and you were visiting Jerusalem. But you didn't know anything about anybody. You didn't know anything about Pilate. You didn't know anything about Jesus. You didn't. You just kind of walked into town, and you and you and you heard this ruckus, and you said, oh, "I'm going to go see what's going on," and you went over there to to see what what the crowd was looking at, and here and here are these two men. One's a fine-looking Roman. This nice robes and a castle and everyone's listening to him he's got armies and power and wealth and all this sort of stuff and then next to him is this miserable looking fellow who's beaten half to a pulp and everybody hates and is yelling at and his beard's getting pulled out and someone comes up behind you and he says you got to follow one of those guys You gotta, you gotta be a disciple of one of those guys. Which one are you gonna choose? Can you imagine that? This is amazing sort of thing that, that here the King of Glory, the King of Kings, the Lord of the Universe, the one who created the stars and hung them in the sky. The one who has all power and glory and majesty and everything else. The one who creates and sustains the whole world. That this one is now beaten 
and despised and humiliated in such a profound way, has, has sunk down to such profound weakness. I mean, Paul sings about this in, in Philippians chapter 2. Remember this beautiful hymn? Let the same mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This is tremendous I mean here we have God in the flesh for us humiliated Pilate has everything that man wants but Jesus God in the flesh has that which we despise but he has it for you I mean all this he's doing for you for your forgiveness for your salvation and God be praised well, we come to the end for today. We're, I'm marking it. We'll take it up next week right here as we walk through the passion of our Lord Jesus in his last days. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, uh, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. Glad to be your host also on Cross Defense. And may God's peace be with you. And today and always, as we rejoice in his suffering, which gives us hope and life and peace. Amen. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Well, thanks again for being a podcast listener. How great is it that we can come together even at a distance via technology through podcasts and all this other stuff to rejoice in the Lord's Word and his gifts that give us hope and peace. Thanks thanks for being part of the Cross Defense family. If there was something helpful for you and you think it would be helpful for someone that you love, don't don't forget to share. That's how things get around and, and bless one another and uh, and how the, how the Word grows. So if there's something helpful that you could pass on to someone that you have in mind, I'd, I'd appreciate it. And, uh, and we'll keep this thing, keep this thing plugging along. Uh, there's a lot more theology also at wolfmuller.co. That's the website where a bunch of the other podcasts and videos end up. And there's a bunch of books there that are available, uh, that are available for free to download. So you got some extra time on your hands. You can download some Luther and, and dig into that as well. So hope that's helpful for you. Wolfmuller.co. Till then, God's peace be with you till we talk again next week.